Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. All right, you guys sound like a peppy crowd today. Good morning those of you at home watching me right now and probably have two TVs on watching all the pregame for the Super Bowl and watching church. So turn off the pregame now because this is the real game. Amen, everybody? Okay, good. Um, I'm glad you agreed, by the way. So we're, um, we're going to talk today on how can I know that God is always with me uh, because at times, don't we sometimes even tell ourselves, God, are you, where are you right now? Anybody ever go through that right there? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, good. But first, we're going to put up that verse up on the screen that we're looking at every week currently. And it's 1 Peter 3.15. I want you, if you can memorize it, memorize it. But I want to show you something each week out of it. Um, But I want you to read it with me first. I'm going to count to three. All of us join in. Please read it out loud with me. Here we go. One, two, three. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now keep it on the screen for me, John, and um, let's go through this again. Uh, Sanctify, meaning you're going to make Jesus number one. He's it. That's it. So that way when you do share faith, you don't get sidetracked with what somebody else feels or thinks. No, you're set on what this thing says right here. But then we talked about always being ready Ready means preparation. We talked about that last week. You're always, I'm always in preparation. We're preparing for something. But for what? And that's today. To make a defense. And the word defense is an interesting word. It's the Greek word apologia. We get our word apologetics. And it's the idea of defending the faith. And so we're always preparing ourselves and preparing ourselves to be ready to defend the faith, to defend what we believe to anyone who questions us or asks us, you know, things, of the, things of, the, of the faith. And so that's our challenge and that's our call. Now, with that said, let's get to uh, today's message. And once again, that is, how can I know that God is always with me? Let me give you some preliminary thoughts on this. Put up Matthew chapter 28. We're gonna read, I'm gonna read 19 and 20. Now watch what Jesus says here. One of the last commands to his disciples. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you, say it, always, even to the end of the age. Right there, Jesus tells us that he is always with the follower of Christ. But let me point out something to you that maybe you never caught in those verses because when he says it, you always got to look at contextually what he's saying it, why he's saying it. He is saying it in the context of sharing faith, of walking in the will of God. Because God isn't willing that any would perish but all that come to repentance. Did you catch that in those verses? So now we find out that he is with us when we're walking in the will of God and spreading this gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me balance that statement out so no one has this fear in their heart that, oh, uh, maybe I'm not saved. Yes, if you've confessed Christ, you're saved. You do have the Spirit of God in you. God is always with you. But I think contextually, this is pushing us towards a greater uh, reality of the presence of God in our life when we are out sharing faith because it creates a dependence that we have upon God when we're out there really stepping out in the word and the will of God. Amen to that? Does that make sense so far? Okay, now, later on in Acts 18, we will not get there in the text we're looking at today, but we will be in Acts 18. Paul will have this this statement right here. Now watch, because it's Paul's life we're going to look at when we see how God He's aware of the presence of God. Verse 20 of Acts 18 says this. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again. Read these three words with me. Here we go. If God will. Start again. Come on. If God wills. He sets sail from Ephesus. So Paul is walking 
in the will of God. He's doing his best to obey the word and the will of God. So when he does that, there's this presence of God. There's a deeper presence of God in his life because when you walk in the will of God and you step out like that, you ha- you're very dependent on God's provision and the awareness of God and God in your life because you need him to carry out that will of God. Now, with that said, we're going to look at that today in practical ways. We're going to, turn, we're going to look at Acts 18. We're going to read 1 through 8. I'm going to do commentary to, to give you the story. Then we're going to give you three points. It's as practical as it gets today. I mean, this is super practical because I have to illustrate it. Uh, I'm going to do more illustration than I normally do so you really understand and see how God's presence works around you in your life. Does that make sound okay? Then we're going to drive it home. Now, Acts chapter 18. Let's look at the story, verses 1 through 8. And here's what it says. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Paul leaves Athens, Greece, and he goes to Corinth. We know there's two New Testament letters called the Corinthians. Now, this city at the time is about 200,000 people. It's very strategically located um, for many reasons. But because there's a lot of people there and a lot of travel to there and out of there, it has a lot of wealth and it's got a lot of wickedness. It's filled with sexual immorality. It's rampant with sexual immorality. They have the temple of Aphrodite there. Every day, every night, they send out 1,000 prostitutes every night to raise money to the temple of Aphrodite. That's how wicked it is. Very wicked place. Paul, this guy we're going to study today, he writes the letter to the Romans, which is after Acts, from Corinth. And in that letter, if you know Romans, that letter, he talks about certain perverted sexual lifestyles that will not see the kingdom of heaven. And those are lifestyles that today in our culture, they glorify and say it's perfectly fine. The Bible says, no, they're not. They're absolutely not. And Paul writes about it. And he writes from Corinth to these Romans right there. So it's a pretty, um, pretty sinful place. It's not the place that you would, in the natural, want to try to start a church because of the wickedness. But because of the wickedness, it's absolutely the place that you want, that God would want to start a church. Amen? And so this is what Paul is doing. He's planted a church there and he's ministering there. And so let's move on to verse two. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. Okay, so what's going on here is something that actually did happen It's historically true. In 4950 AD, Claudius told all the Jews to leave Rome. Not just because it says in the Bible. It's a historical fact. So it coincides with each other. Um, It correlates to each other. Now, they were kicked out because they're spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Jews who were opposing them, it caused a big riot. So Claudius kicks everybody out. The Roman historian, Suetonius, He confirms that. They have this statement from him in history where he says this about, he says, and I quote, it's because the Jews in Rome caused continued disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. Crestus is another form of the word Christ. And so now you have a Roman historian confirming that Christ and the preaching of the resurrection is why there's a big stir and why they kicked these born-again Jews and all the Jews out of Rome. Verse 3. Two of them, by the way, land with Paul, Aquila and Priscilla, as we read. Verse 3. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, Aquila and Priscilla, he stayed with them, and they were working by trade. They were, they were tent makers. So Paul, who was a rabbi originally, rabbis had to learn a trade. And now you find that Paul's working as he's out there on the missionary trail. Now, I like that because um, the Bible says in the New Testament, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. That's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. It's not based on anything other than what God says. Now, we are living in a time where every, a lot of people want a lot of free stuff. Any amens on that? That's wrong. 
Now, I'm thanking God all the time that I live in a country that has safety nets for people with disabilities, people with handicaps. Thank God, because I've been to third world countries. Maybe you never have. I have. And I've seen in those countries, there are no safety nets for people with handicaps or with disabilities. None whatsoever. They're just on their own. So we live in a great nation. Amen to that one? But if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. We're supposed to work and not walk around expecting government just to give me free stuff. That's not the way it works. There's no self-dignity in that whatsoever. Amen to that one? So I just want to throw that out there for your contemplation. It's in the scriptures. Uh, verse uh, 4. And he, Paul, was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. So Paul, he goes right to the synagogue, which is where the Jewish leaders hang out, and he's going to reason with them from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah is going to share the resurrection. It says he reasons with them. And that means dialogue, literally dialogue, just question and answer. That's all he's doing. He's answering questions, and uh, he's giving answers. Now, I want you to think about this question. Whenever you read the Gospels, if, and I hope you do, what's the one thing Jesus always did when he was confronted with a very difficult question? When people come and try to trap him and trick him, and say, what did Jesus always do? He asked a question. He didn't answer their question. He asked a question. And usually they were doozies of questions, man. I mean... And what he did was, and by the way, let me, before I say this, let me say this, that only two times do I ever see Jesus trying to seal the deal basically on salvation. It's with Nicodemus and it's with a Samaritan woman. All the other times, he's just asking a question and he's making them think about what they're challenging him about. Listen, when somebody comes and challenges you in your faith, on something you don't have to answer the question at the beginning I want you to but at the beginning you need to ask them a question about what they asked you because they're the one who made the statement let them prove it to you what they're trying to tell you any amens on that would that make life a lot easier for you yes it would put it on them that's what I do and I learned that from Jesus make them if they say there is no God I go oh really maybe I got it wrong could you give me the evidence that there is no God you know I do st I'll do stuff like that I just make them think because that's what Jesus did and he's very wise in how he went about it amen to that one okay now so verse 5 but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So a couple of the bigger guns come down, Silas and Timothy. Now Paul can now devote himself to the word of God. And you want, and let me say this for the sake of the young ministers coming up, that you understand this. You've got to let the ministers, the pastor type, teacher type, they've got to be able to study the word of God. You've got to let them have time to do that. Amen to that one? because you always want them cooking up fresh manna in the oven, right? Otherwise, you're not going to be fed the word of God, and you want to be fed that word of God. So you got to give them time to do that. Don't bog them down with all kinds of things that can be solved so easily. Verse 6. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul says, you don't want to hear? Okay, I've shared with you. I've told you the gospel, shared it all, but I'm done now. I'm going to the Gentiles. And when he says, I'm innocent of your blood, he's quoting basically from Old Testament Ezekiel. And we know that Jesus even said, do not give what is unholy to the dogs. So Paul says, I'm going to reject the rejectors. It's all biblical. And he moves on. And he's going to the Gentiles, fulfilling Acts 9, of which his, his main commission was in the first place. Now, verse 7. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named... Now, this is such a cool verse. I hope you, If you never caught it before, catch it now. The house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of... God, whose house was where? It's right next to the synagogue. Here's what Paul does. Look at me. Here's the synagogue house. They don't want it. They don't want to hear. Paul leaves there and he goes where? 
right next door to a house where somebody's a believer and Paul preaches right there. Is that cool or what? He doesn't get deterred. He says, okay, there's a house next door. They'll let me start teaching and preaching there. And that's what he does. And verse eight, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now, Crispus, this guy was the head of the Jewish synagogue. He comes to faith in Christ. Big deal. He leaves that right there. And if you're a serious Bible student, write this down. 1 Corinthians 1.14, you will find his name. Paul actually baptized this man, Crispus. We find it in the letter of 1 Corinthians 1.14. Now, with that said, now we want to look at, this is the whole buildup, how do I know that God is with me? How do I know? Here we go. Number one, three points. Paul receives support. We're going to go through the lens of Paul. How do I know? Well, Paul receives support. Look at verse four and verse five again. Let me read it. No, you read it with me. Here we go. All together. One, two, three. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now notice in there that Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Silas and Timothy join up with him. They come to help him out. Now there's two ways that, um, that Paul receives help. One is financial, 2 Corinthians 11. We're not gonna go into that one today. The other way is physical. These two guys show up because he was by himself there in Corinth and now Silas and Timothy come alongside him and start supporting, helping him out. Let me show you how that works in your life and how it really validates the presence of God in your life. I'm gonna tell you this story. It truly happened. It's the freshest one I know. It was late October last year. There's a young gal in our church named Cindy Molina. She sits right in that seat for service. She ministers second service to children's department. She decided she was going to make the trek and climb Mount Whitney in one day to the top and down. It's a 22-mile it's a walk. I've, I've done it. 11 up, 11 down. So I was coaching her. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to take. This is where you got to be at this time. And if you're not here at this time, then turn back because it's going to be bad for you if you don't. So she goes. She goes there and you leave about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning with your headlamp on. That's just the way you got to do it. It's real cool because sometimes you'll look out with your headlamp and you'll see eyes light up out in the distance looking at you. <laughs> just what it is. But the stars are brilliant and beautiful. She got up to um, what's called Trail Crest. She's at 13,005 or 13,006, and it's really, it's difficult to breathe, not like here, and you're stepping real slow. And she's up there, and she's worn out, and she's freezing. She's there at, and, and, and she's still got two and a half miles to walk to the top, and you can see the top. You can see a little house up there because you're on the backside of the needles, the big peaks. She's sitting there, and she's exhausted and freezing, and a man walks by. He's coming down, starts talking to her. And he says, you need to turn around, go back. She's not, and he could tell she's not listening. He says, if you don't turn around, he says, I know you want to ascend, but you better turn around, it's going to be bad if you don't. It's a, the time where she's at that spot is 1.30 in the afternoon. I told her that she had to be at the top, that's two and a half miles away, and you're thoroughly exhausted and freezing. She had to be at the top at about 11, 11.30 in the morning. It's 1.30 now in the afternoon, and she's still got two and a half miles to go. She's exhausted, and she's freezing. And the guy says, you better turn around. In her mind, she goes, those are the same words that you told me, Jim, that at a certain point, you better turn around, because you actually could freeze to death and die, especially late October. It's not a good time to go. There's not a lot of people up on the trail at that time. 
she decides to come down. She's coming down, walking down what's called the 99 switchbacks. When you walk up the 99, it's very rigorous to walk up those 99. But you're going up 99, you're going straight up, man, to this to trail crest. She's coming down. As she nears the bottom of the 99 switchback, she falls. As she falls, she tries to break her fall, but a rock was jetting out, hits her right in her side. She hurts herself really, really bad. She's lying there for so many minutes, and she's in severe pain. As she lays there, and there's not a lot of people on the trail, there's a couple ladies come by. They stop. They see she's in trouble. One of the ladies turns out to be a nurse. And they ask her, Cindy says, I'll be okay. And then she goes, nope, I can't leave you here. She stays with Cindy. And they start walking her down. Cindy can barely walk. At that spot, it's six miles from that spot to walk still down to the trailhead, to where the cars are. And she's in severe pain. And so they're walking down. They stay with Cindy. They met her at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They walk her down slowly the last six miles all the way till 3 o'clock in the morning. They're walking in the night and it's freezing. But they're staying with her. One of them eventually goes on ahead to call to get ambulance paramedics at the trailhead, which they do. But they cannot go in further than one mile. Because the way the trail is, if you've ever walked it, it's kind of semi, it's smooth and everything for a mile, but then it gets, you can't get a stretcher in there. So they've got to get her within a mile of the trailhead. So finally they do, paramedics, they're waiting, and, and they take her on a stretcher, they get her out. She doesn't want to go to the doctor, and she says, I'll be okay, and she's not. And she goes, I'll just sleep in my car. We back here, myself, Pastor Aaron, and uh, Reggie Franz, I don't know if you know Reggie, we're all really worried about her. It's Saturday. She was supposed to be out of the trail Friday about 7 o'clock in the evening. So we're thinking, what happened? And she's not answering her phone. And we're calling and calling and calling. Finally, Reggie calls the police up there and lets them know the situation. They drive up to the trailhead and they find her asleep in her car because she's in pain. They call Reggie, who calls us, said, we found her. She's, she's in pain, but she's, she's in her car. She's sleeping. She said she's, she's okay. Well, finally, she starts driving down, and she's in pain. Uh, Aaron, Pastor Aaron, gets a hold of her, calls her up. And Aaron calls me and says, you better call her because she's not listening, which if you know Cindy, that's kind of par for the course. <laughs> she's just going to do it. I call her up. And she goes, hello? I go, how you doing? She goes, I'm fine. I go, and I said, you sound terrible. Because, you know, I'm a pastor, you know. I said, where are you at? She goes, I'm driving. Um, I, I'm, I, I go, are you in Lone Pine? She goes, no, I've, I've left Lone Pine. I go, okay, there's going to either be or see a rest area on your left-hand side. If you pass that, you'll see a gas station in a place called Pearsonville. Who knows Pearsonville along 395? Raise your hand. You know Pearsonville? Raise them up. Okay, you know Pearsonville. Okay, so you know this place, Pearsonville. Okay. I said, if you get there, stay there. It's 140 miles from Corona Norco to there. I said, Aaron and I are coming to get you. It's Saturday about 1.30. And so she goes, oh, okay. No, 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 no. You stay there. So we leave. We drive the 140 miles to go get her. We get to Pearsonville. We see her, the car there. We pull up. I knock on the window, and she's sitting there laying down and passing her side, and she's relaxing, listening to Barry White. No, she's not listening to Barry White. <laughs> she's in pain. She's in pain. And so... Um, we open the door. We have to transfer her from her car into Aaron's car because I'm going to drive her Dodge Challenger back to Corona. <laughs> hey, you got to have some motivation, right? So we get her out of the car. I'm getting her out of the car, and she can't move. She's like, oh. A lady comes up at Pearsonville gas station. It's in the middle of nowhere, if you know Pearson. There's nothing there. She comes up, she says, what, what happened? What's wrong? I explain the situation, and she said, let me help you. Here, and then she says, I'm a paramedic from France. 
Is there a France between Lone Pine and Bishop? What are we talking here? <laughs> no, she's from France, guys. I go, from France? She goes, from France. She comes in. She helps Cindy. She gets her in the car. She makes her comfortable. She does everything. It's like, okay, here we go. I got the keys to the Challenger. Let's do it, man. And we drive her home. We get her home, and, you know, the whole shot and everything works out okay. But I want you to think about that story. At Trail Crest, a man tells her, you better turn around or else it's not going to be good. Echoes the words that I told her. She falls. A nurse happens to show up on the trail, stays with her 13, 12 hours, walking her out of the trail till she gets to the stretcher. Then at Pearsonville, a nurse, a paramedic from France, just happens to show up and help us move her and get her there. Plus the fact she had two friends, me and Aaron, because she's in fellowship, drive up to go get her. So I got a question. Is it possible that when we say, God, where are you? We're looking for the sky to open up and Jesus to appear, and we don't see all the things he's doing through humans around us. Is it possible? God works through humans. How do I know? God became a human and worked through a human body. So he's going to work that way. Now, if you're not seeing stuff like that, maybe you're not in a tighter fellowship within church within a fellowship but that's the way he works and that's the way he moves he moves to other people all those not all of them were Christians on that journey I don't know if any of the other ones are Christians I know Aaron and I are but God was moving and moving in her life and taking care of Cindy in that experience that she was having and that's the way God works he works in physical and we miss it sometimes because we don't see it that way how else is he going to work? How else is he going to do it? So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, for, through Paul's lens. Paul receives a visit from Jesus. He literally receives a visitation for the second time in his life. Now, verses 9 and verse 10. Now watch this. This is another way the presence of God is around us. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Notice he said, I am with you, and it's Jesus speaking to him. Did you catch it? Yes or no? Say yes. Okay, good, you caught it. All right. Now, Jesus visits him. I need to be clear on this one. There's another way you know the presence of God. I have never heard the voice of Jesus. I've never heard an audible voice from God. I know I've heard of people that have. I never have. I've never had Jesus appear to me in some kind of vision. Never have. I've never, not even in a dream. I, I've never had any of these things happen to me. But there are two ways that Jesus has visited me repeatedly that I know of, and this is how it works in my life and in your life. Now, the first way is this, and I've said it to you so many times, and I just want it to sink in in your life. He, the Holy Spirit, does he live in the believer? Say yes. If the Holy Spirit lives in the believer, doesn't it make sense logically that if he's in me, he can drop thoughts on my mind? Does that make sense? And doesn't it make sense if he loves me that he's going to do that and speak to me that way? Doesn't it make sense? Now, those thoughts should always coincide with what the scriptures say. That's why you better start reading your Bible and studying it or else you'll be taking on any kind of joy right in your head. But he'll drop thoughts in your mind. You are sitting in this facility on this land because the Holy Spirit in 1984, many of you know these stories that I'm gonna share right now at this point. In 1984, November, I'm sitting in my bedroom, lights off in a bedroom in my house, lights off praying, and the vivid thought that was so penetrating was, you will be a senior pastor. Guys, I wasn't even a pastor yet. And it was gonna be eight more years of preparation before we started this thing called New Beginnings out of my home out of my own and then and there's many stories I could do but I'm just going to try to condense them another time it's 1999 
The church is seven years old. It's remember the Columbine shooting in Colorado. Anybody remember that week? Okay, it was that week. I'm sitting in a hotel in Victorville right there on the 15. It used to be a Red Roof Inn. I don't know what it is now. But I was at a pastor's conference. I'm sitting there and I'm just meditating, thinking. And all of a sudden, just a strong thought came into my mind. It's time to buy land, meaning the church. Okay, it's time to buy land. And, and we did, and we did, and we're here. But the most vivid time I've ever had was a time I was standing there, and God spoke into my mind, and he said, if you build it, they will come. Okay, no, he didn't say it. <laughs> and I went and got James Earl Jones and went to a Red Sox game. So. No, he didn't. The last one's not true, okay. But I just reeled you in, didn't I? But the first two actually happened. And that's, that's why you see this right here. So when I know God speaks to me, it doesn't matter what anybody tells me. It doesn't matter who opposed me. I know what I know what I know. And God says it. I'm going with it. And that's just the way it is, man. And you may not like it. You may oppose me. You may disagree. I'm going with it. Because this is what God has landed in my mind. And it doesn't go against the scriptures. So I'm going. Now, that's one way God speaks to you. Let me tell you another way. God speaks to you through other believers. Do, how many know that? He does. God will put thoughts in them to speak to you. Now let me give you, let me give you something. And if you've been around me a long time, you know these stories. But some of you don't know them. I've had um, this happen so many times in my life. But one time, I was in a real... I don't even know the word, but I've had two, maybe three times in the 31 years of New Beginnings that I just wanted to quit. And it's not because of outside, it's because Christians in the church, just the way they were opposing, things they were saying behind my back, people that were my friends, I thought. And I've got to the end sometimes, I'm just gonna quit. And then I realized a few squeaky wheels, the rest of you seem to like me, I think, right? If you didn't clap, we did it on camera. <laughs> um, but I did. I felt like quitting. I even made one time. I made. An, I told my wife we're going out to dinner tonight. I got to talk to you about something. I said, I'm going to turn in my letter of resignation tomorrow. I'm, I'm done. I'm just finished. And I told her why, and I won't tell you why. But it was just opposition from within. It's like I don't need it anymore. Um, but um, one time it was it was bad. It was five years of just like, I just can't, too much opposition. And it was, how many remember when I had the mild heart attack? Anyone remember that? Raise your hand. Remember that? You guys caused it. Remember that? <laughs> I feel fine now. Okay. <laughs> but um, it was like, I had that in January of 2016. And it was like, right before that, I think it was in December, somewhere in there, that I was at a minister's uh, breakfast and it was five years I was just like I can't do this much more it's just too much opposition within the church and so I went which I always did and there was a minister there John Harkey and he called us forward I didn't know John Harkey at the time he called us forward he's going to pray for people I stepped forward and he prays for me and here's what he said he doesn't even know me he says you've been up and you've been down and you've been up and you've been down and you've been up and you've been down and it's been 60 months. Well, I'm a math guy. How many years is 60 months? It's five years. And I just told God, God, it's been five years. I can't take much more of this. And I'm thinking, how does he know that? And he says, but it's over now. All that turmoil, it's over now. And you just breathe a sigh of relief because only you know in your heart what he's actually talking about because God is speaking to him. He doesn't know all the details of it, but God gave him the 60 months, the five years. And I said, okay, God, thank you. And then he said this. He said, now, what you need to do, what you're supposed to do, is you got to raise up young ministers on the platform here, which I already knew, which I already knew. And I was already doing that. So he confirmed that too. And I just walked away so refreshed and so encouraged. And then I had a heart attack. <laughs> a mile it was very very mild um, but um, 
But let me tell you something about receiving a word from somebody else because there are Christians who will walk around trying to give everybody a word to have control over people. Watch out for that. If somebody gives you a word, it better confirm something to you in your life that you already know. It shouldn't be some new newsflash to you that, oh my gosh, otherwise you'll be going all over the place. Also, don't become, and I've only seen a handful of them, but I've seen them, don't become a Christian that always has to go to the new meeting somewhere because they're giving words out everywhere. That you have to have a new word all the time. Hey, you got the word of God. There's enough in there, right? Right? You only need a word once every so often and God will give it to you and when the time is right, if you position yourself in the right places. It's just that simple. But you don't have to go running around looking for stuff like that. Now, you want a fun word? You want me to give you one of the fun words I've been given? Or that I... Yes or no? I don't have to do this. Okay, I almost didn't because you were hesitant. He who hesitates is lost, my friend. So, let me ask, you know, how many of you, did you guys know that my wife broke up with me when we were dating? How many knew that? Better question. How many of you who are married now, you guys broke up before you got married? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, when you broke up, you, the wife now, you were the one who broke up? Raise your hand. Oh, you're the one, huh? Okay. Olivia's lucky I took her back, okay? Should have missed out. Should have missed out. Now, with that said, what I just said, men, how many of you men, this woman, you're now married, she broke up, now the men, raise your hand. The woman broke up with you first when you're dating. Raise your hand. Be a, raise your hand. Raise them up. Don't be afraid. Raise them up. Now turn to your spouse and say, you're lucky. You're lucky I took you back because you'd have missed out on right here. It's okay to do that, okay? It's okay. Now, you don't have to kiss them in front of, okay, I got it, okay. Boy, see what I did for you, bro? See what I did for you? Man, next time move up a row. You see what happens, man. Okay, so Olivia and I are broken up, and um, we're at this retreat up in the mountains, and there was like a young adults group at this place, this church we were at way back when, and uh, there was a man there who spoke, and then he'd, he'd pray for us, give these words. He'd give you a word. I don't know. I didn't know the guy at the time, really. And um, he gave me a word. That was, wild. that was like, oh, my gosh, which came to pass. And it was true. Everything was. Then Olivia goes up and she gets prayed for and here's what the man says to her. He says to her, Olivia, if you marry Jim, you'll win the lotto. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) Boy, I wish he would have, man. Um, But he says to Olivia, he says, Olivia, you're the female Jimmy. Everybody starts cracking up in our group there because obviously they knew we had dated before but here's the funny part is like if you know Olivia and you know me are we at all alike we couldn't be more opposite in every way shape and form if, we're, if there's a room walking into a few minutes late I want to walk to the front and I want to have you all see me walk to the front Olivia nope she'll walk in the back last row I'm not walking up okay not gonna happen I tell Olivia Olivia let's go for a hike she goes you go for a hike I mean, we're just, I mean, and it goes, the list goes on and on and on and on. And so she's no way she's the female Jimmy, but the way I understand it from that moment on is she knew in that moment that, you know, that was a convincing thing that, you know, the lotto was right here in front of her. And, that, and so we got back together, the whole thing, we get married and the rest is history. And that's just worked through a word of God at that time. It's okay to clap. Don't you love that story? I like that story. Now, the third thing is this. So God works through words. The third way is this. Paul receives divine protection. Paul receives divine protection. Here's another way God works in your life. Now, watch this. Look at verses 11 through 17. He says, And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, stop right there. Let me show you something about Galileo. Galileo, they found an inscription about this man, Galileo, 
historical inscription. And evidently, he was the proconsul or governor of the area in there in Corinth from 51 to 52. It's a position that was only held for one year, so we know he held it from 51 to 52. The inscription shows he was a real man that really lived outside biblical literature, but it states it right here in biblical literature, which tells us Paul was here at that time in Corinth at 51 to 52 AD. So, and he writes 1 Corinthian letters about a few years after that. So now we have uh, confirmation of the letter and everything else within 20 years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know how close that is for any historical fact to be documented like that in history? That's an amazing thing right there, guys. It's an amazing thing. And that's just one of so many. Let's read on. Some of you appreciate that? Probably most of you, uh, that's cool. Um, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat saying this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law so they're making up lies about Paul but when Paul was about to open his mouth Galileo said to the Jews if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime O Jews it would be reasonable for me to put up with you but if there are questions about words and names and your own law look after it yourselves I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters so Galileo is just dismissing these, these accusations and he drove them away from the judgment seat and they all took hold here's what they do because these people are mad because they wanted to take Paul down here's what they do instead and they all took hold of Sothenes the leader of the synagogue and began beating him in front of the judgment seat they're going to take it out on somebody this guy's the leader of the synagogue. Now they're going to take him and give him a beatdown. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. Galileo's watching the beatdown. He's going, can you pass another taco? He could care less. <laughs> but side note, Bible, Bible people here, Sothenes, guess what? In 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, we find a man named Sothenes is converted to Christ. Is that amazing or what? Maybe the beatdown led him to Jesus, which leads me to my next part of the service. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not joking. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But look what's happening here. So here's Paul. They bring him up on charges. They make up all these lies. You know, like today, uh, that's all they do because they want to score big points from the news and get you to watch. And that's all it is now. Just a bunch of propaganda these days. Uh, it's a terrible world the way we become now in the United States. But they bring him there and make up. And before Paul can even offer a defense... Galileo says, etch, stop. All you guys are the charges. Look, we deal with real crimes and wickedness here. Religious stuff, whatever you want to believe. He goes, that's not our business. So scat, bye, go. Boy, wouldn't you love it if it was still that way in America? They let us just practice what we believe in our faith. You say, they do. You believe in a lie, my friends. Because they're inching closer and closer to stop me and other pastors from preaching certain things and they label us as hate speech people and that's what they're doing and they're making these little secret laws to try to stop us and if you say that's not true then I don't know where you're living I don't know where you're living and if you think it's going to stop with religious people you're kidding yourself because once it starts going it's going to go after everybody now we're probably years and years away from that but it, it's inching closer so never, ever forget that. Now, he says, you leave Paul alone. So he protects Paul. Now notice, God says in those words, I will I'll protect you from any attack. He didn't say, I'll stop opposition. He said, I'll stop people from attacking you. Never forget that. You're going to get opposition. But he says, but, but, he, but he protects him. So here's what I want to do. I did this on a Tuesday night Bible study a couple months ago, I think it was. I'm going to do it again today. Wow, that's cool, huh? So, um, I talked to you at the very beginning that when you walk in the word and the will of God, which is Paul's doing, sharing the faith, doing what he's supposed to do, he's walking in the word and the will of God. There's a deeper sense of God's presence in your life, but there's also this. There's this thing called the umbrella of protection. It's just, it's a statement. And what, what people mean by that is that, that when I walk in the word, obedience to the word and the will of God, I'm under the umbrella of God's protection. Right? But when I choose to walk outside the word and the will of God, I'm open game. 
doesn't mean I'm not saved doesn't mean I don't believe in Jesus it just means I'm going to do what I want to do and now I'm not under the umbrella of protection of God anymore because I'm not walking in the word and the will of God but if I go back in the word and will of God I'm under the umbrella of protection does that make sense? it was about 2006 some of you remember a guy by the name of Tony Malama passed away in a motorcycle accident on a men's retreat up in San Bernardino we were all on on a Friday night he was a real good friend of mine he used to work here it was a terrible accident one time we were backpacking because you know we're, I was a backpacker so he went with me and we all a bunch of guys would always go from church here and we're walking out it was McGee Pass Trail coming south of uh, Mammoth it was a 22 miler from inside Mammoth around coming out McGee Creek and the last day we're walking and Tony takes a wrong wrong turn and he's walking he said about a mile mile and a half and he finally realizes I don't see anybody I think I've I think I've taken a wrong turn and so what he does he turns back and retraces his steps and he goes back to the place where he took the wrong turn and he gets back on that trail and he finds his way out and finds his way to us you see He was on the trail. He took a wrong turn. And he's off the trail. And it's going to be dangerous out there now if you keep going the wrong way by yourself. And see, we do that in our faith. We take turns, wrong turns, because we're outside the will and the word of God. We're outside the umbrella protection. Some of us need to get, retrace our steps, get back under the umbrella protection in the word and the will of God, get back on the trail and that trail will lead us to all the right places because we're in the word and we're in the will of God does that make sense and that's what we need to do all of our lives and when you do that you'll have a greater awareness of the presence of God through people through personal visitations thoughts dropped in your mind and through God's protection and it will be very evident in your life that God is always with you, just like Jesus said. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I, I thank you, Father. I just pray, God, that, um, Lord, if we're off the trail, we need to get back on the trail, back under the umbrella of protection because it's there that we sense the greater presence of God. Jesus, I pray for people here, people watching from home that have drifted off. It's time for you to get back in you know what that looks like you know what that presence of God sense you can sense it I pray for you that have never put your faith in Jesus don't play games with him he's the creator of the universe how can you be so sure Jim oh pretty easy evidence points that way But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I'm going to give you a simple opportunity today to surrender your life to Him, the only true and living God. He'll never hurt you. He'll just guide you in the right way through the word and the will of His Father, God. You see, Jesus died on the cross for you. That's why He came in the flesh. To go to that cross to carry your sins and mine. And they killed him. He took our pain, our death, our hell. And they buried him. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Historical fact. Historical fact. And he rose from the dead to give you new life if you so choose to believe in him. So if you, sitting here today, if you'd like to 
place your faith in Jesus and become a follower of Christ, excellent. But if you backslid and you've walked off the trail, you got to get back under the umbrella protection. It's time for you to come back too. So I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus or rededicate your life, I want you to do one thing between you, me, and God, and that is open your eyes right now, look up at me, I'm going to look back at you. When our eyes meet, you can close them. Do it right now. Now repeat this prayer after me, those who looked up at me, and everybody say it with them so they're not alone. Let's repeat this prayer. Here we go. And just put your faith in Jesus as you say it, those who looked up at me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me, carry my sins, shed your blood to forgive me of all my sins. I place my faith in you today. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. I surrender my will to your will. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray for you. God, I pray for everyone who looked up. I pray you follow up, friend, for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what your friends think. They're not going to stand next to you on the day of judgment in eternity. Start to walk in new ways, the ways of God, because now that you have the Spirit of God living in you. Get a Bible that you can understand. If you don't have any, a Bible, or get one in the lobby at the Welcome Center. They're free. Read the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament for about a year and a half to two years. Just stay right there. Read about the one who saved you. Get into fellowship regularly. Start hanging out with some Christians. And start learning about the Savior. Because He's the one that your life is now conforming to. And I so thank God for you today. For your decision. Because it's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. And we thank you, Jesus, that all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? Repeat after me, everybody. Here we go, with gusto. Lord, keep me outward focused, and fill me with your Spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church, because I see what I'm looking for, and make me into a generous person like you. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you when we see you. God bless you. Have a great, great day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.